So live from Costa Mesa, California, in my old shop slash garage, this is Jimmy Lewis. This is Dirt Bike Test, and we are having Tech Talk Taco Tuesday sans the tacos because um, I was moving dirt in a big different way. Um, actually, Plumber Mark's on the uh, <laughs> on the board. Remember when we did that little bit of work out front? And you said it was going to go bad down below? Well, it did. And uh, so I have been uh, shoveling dirt because that's about all I'm qualified to do when it comes to anything other than motorcycles. So, um, hope everybody's having a good evening. I'm super, super stoked that everybody joined us live. Um, this is growing. It's getting good. I want to be able to answer your questions. I want you to have a place you can go where you can get trusted information about dirt bikes and dirt bike related products. It seems like the time slot's working out okay, and uh, I'm having a good time doing this. We're learning how to do it um, a little more remote and uh, get it set up at different places. We're learning a lot about the connectivity, so if it drops, blame me because I'm still learning. And then the other thing, if you're watching this on YouTube, so when we put it up on YouTube, uh, if you want to find this live, it's Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Dirt Bike Test's Facebook channel. That's where you can chime in, join the um, live chat, ask some questions, uh, get some answers, poke some fun. We have a couple people in the chat room that are here every week that seem to be able to answer the questions before I see them. And uh, it's a good little community we're building. Um, that's kind of what we're trying to do here. So I will get right to my list of questions. Um, last week I said I would talk about the KTM 350 EXC that we had the video test up. It's on the YouTube channel. Um, and I had a few questions. I didn't write them down. So this weekend, this week, I wrote them down. Anyways, uh, Bull Bar One, I love the names. Bull Bar One um, said that KTM lowered their maintenance schedules. Um, I'm not sure exactly what he meant by lowered them, um, changed them. What's really interesting is guess what I have here? This is a 350, 350 EXC manual. And. This is service schedules. So we're going to talk about this. We are going to talk about this um, a little bit later. But I'll get into that for sure because I, I, we're always getting questions about maintenance schedules and service schedules. And I'm going to look exactly to see what the manual says. I can actually get up and go get a Yamaha manual right behind me. I know I have that back there. Uh, and if we need to get some, to some specifics. Um, but the more I, I actually looked at it um, last night quite a bit because I wanted to see what it said. And basically, it looks to me like it's written by lawyers. <laughs> they're they're kind of covering their ass just in case something would start to go wrong. If you did everything on this list, uh, you would probably catch it. So do I do all the stuff in that list? Never, never. I, I, I There's some stuff that I do even more often than what they say in the list, but Anyways, we'll get into that. Um, Andrew Silver said the seat height. He read that the seat height is too tall on the KTM 350 EXE, but we said a few times that it was low in our test. So he was curious about um, kind of the seat height questions. And in reality, uh, when, when a person that's familiar with maybe riding street bikes or something that's uh, you know lower to the ground when they say, start saying the seat height is 34 inches or something, that's like, oh, you get all worried. Well, that's the seat to the ground. Um, and when you sit on it, it squats a little bit more, so it's not really 34. But when people sit on motorcycles, a lot of them want to put both of their feet on the ground. And some people don't have 34 or 32 inch inseams, so they start panicking. It's like when you stop, just slide your butt off the side of the seat and put a foot down. I teach a riding school where we fight with people all the time because they want to throw the rudders out and put both their feet down all the time. And it's like, guess what? If you have short legs, you're not going to be able to. Just pick a side, put a foot down. Because when you put both feet down, you try to get them both on the ground. And on an off-camber hill, off hill, that doesn't work. So that's riding school talk. Um, I will uh, go that later. But anyways, at whatever seat height it is, it's not that high. Um, 
it's average. Uh, most dirt bikes have pretty much, a, you know, an average seat height. And, you know, an inch up and down isn't going to make a whole, whole lot of difference. Um, there's, you know, when you get into like some specialty setups or, you know, lowering bikes, there's a lot of stuff that can go on. But uh, don't get too hung up on the seat height because what's more important is the seat top to foot peg height because that is what you're going to be dealing with most of the time. So um, I don't think it's tall. Um, I'm sure if you go on to a, you know, a adventure rider forum with a lot of um, a very um, opinionated or novice people, they will say the seat height's high. So decide who you're listening to. Um, it's fine. Seat height's fine. And it's on the KTM on the, with the PDS, it's so easy to lower it because you just um, take some preload out. And you can drop it down quite a bit, and you can slide the forks up, and then KTM, even they make a lowering kit. There's eccentric um, bearings that you can put in the uh, the lower part of the shock uh, on the swing arm. That'll help you out. Um, that can make it quite a bit lower right away. Does affect the handling, though. 351BK says, what FMF exhaust were you running on your... Um, 350, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> well, we are running the FMFQ, um, I believe that is not necessarily, or it wasn't when we got it, it wasn't available to the public at the time when we got it, but I think it is now, um, it was available through KTM hard parts, so, or that's what I was told, so it was an FMFQ, um, uh, have, Highly recommended for a little bit better flowing, a little bit snappier, um, uh, kind of crisper, like throttle response. And then when you add the um, the header, the Mega Bomb header on that particular uh, bike, uh, it helps with throttle response quite a bit. So that's that question. Um, and Evan Williams says to go down two teeth on the rear to get this top speed because we are being pansies and complaining about it not going fast enough. Um, no, it goes fast enough for most of the, most of the time, but, um, in reality, fifth and sixth gear are pretty close. Sixth gear overall, um, isn't that much of a bigger jump, um, in, you know, from fifth to sixth, it's just like it, I wish I had an overdrive and I wish it went a lot faster in, um, in sixth gear, um, not necessarily went faster, went the same speed at a lower RPM. Uh, I think it's probably right about where it you know, it peak power and speed and everything. It makes it so you can still like accelerate in sixth gear. But if you're going downhill in sixth gear, like in a downhill valley or something, you can easily bounce off the rev limiter. So going two teeth down, which would make it a little bit faster, probably the right speed um, for sixth gear. It also makes first gear just a tad tall. So when you get into really tight and technical stuff, then you have to use the clutch a little bit more. So, not, uh, I don't know. Um, I don't want to change first gear and I'm not going to suffer in sixth gear. Cause I think I'm going to be in first gear going really slow a lot more than I'm in sixth gear and complaining. So, <laughs> um, what I got to do is I got to, I got to get inside, get inside that transmission and see if there's a way where you could actually switch the ratios in sixth gear. That would be ideal. Um, and now that I own one, I might be doing that. You never know. KTM has a lot of gear sets available. Um, Big Al's KTM says, 160 kilometers stock, and why are you complaining? <laughs> well, if it, you're talking about kilometers per hour, that sounds a lot better than the 90-whatever miles an hour we're getting out of it. But uh, um, I'm not complaining necessarily about the top speed. I'm complaining more about the RPM it has to run in top gear. So if you hop out in the highway and you want to go 70 miles an hour, which would be, I don't know how many kilometers an hour. I don't have my gauge, 85 kilometers an hour or something like that. You're just revving it a lot. And I would rather lug down because it has the power to pull it. So um, agree to disagree. And uh, that's it on my KTM 350 questions. Uh, go watch the test on YouTube. And, oh, I'm talking about a KTM 350, if you're curious about what I'm talking about. That's why you got to watch from the beginning or go back to YouTube and then, you know, uh, rewind. 
I got to remember that people are joining in late, and so I'll add um, the bike a little bit more. But that was a um, that was a 2019 KTM 350 that we just tested. Um, they're on our. We have a full test up on dirtbiketest.com with links to the YouTube video, so you can find out what we really think, and I can still answer questions. Um, okay, Eddie. Kawaguchi Saki something or other. <laughs> and another guy named Mike asked um, another pretty good, interesting question. They were asking about the PDS um, suspension, the linkage, linkage list suspension on the KTMs, and they were asking progressive spring or not. And I've ridden them both ways. And it seems like KTM has you know, gravitated more over to going back to the straight rate spring. And I think, and there was a time when they were trying progressive springs, they've kind of gone back and forth. And the answer is it depends on uh, what you're, what you're looking for and how it's valved. Because I think with, there's a certain progressive nature that's built into that shock, the, 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 the second piston that kind of closes up and all of a sudden it gets stiffer at a certain point. So um, the progressive spring can kind of, can kind of cushion or blend that a little bit better. Um, I find that a lot of times, unless you're, you, you want to run a pretty stiff initial valving to run a lighter initial rate progressive spring. And then you can be less stiff on the, the, um, less stiff on the second piston, um, essentially. So it, it's, it's all depends on your tuner, your suspension tuner, um, how they, how they set it up. Um, I know I worked a lot with uh, George at ESP Suspension, and he had a setup that was using a progressive spring. And on my older um, RFS bikes, the when I, when I was riding those, and then I even carried it on to some of the newer ones when I got my KTM 200, I had him do that progressive uh, setup. And I think on one of my Husabergs, we have it inside of it now because I'm also running a pro progressive spring on one of those. So... But I'd have to go look at the bike to remember which one it is because I have too many of those. Um, but it's it's kind of a, you know, some tuners gravitate towards that. They know how to make it um, work that way. And other ones just work with what is standard and just do small changes. So um, that's your, uh, that hopefully it answers the question. <laughs> it's, a, it's a matter of personal preference. I have, I have bikes that are set up both ways. So, and they... Net net, they kind of work the same. Uh, I think if I were, I'm thinking if I was racing, would I go for one setup versus the other? Um, I might want to run the progressive spring in a race application. Uh, just overall, I think I had it was it was it was more tunable. So that's my guess. So hopefully that was a good answer. Uh, T R Smith asks. Sherco 300 two-stroke or 300 four-stroke? Um, I haven't ridden one of those for about five years, so I don't know. <laughs> I have to ride them to be able to give you an opinion or an answer. Um, I've noticed the Sherco guys have been doing really good in the Extreme Enduros. That's for sure. Um, and they're riding two-strokes. So um, until I ride a bike, I'm not going to be able to give you an impression or an answer on it. And... Uh, I'd like to ride them. Uh, it's just a matter of logistics and timing and getting all that stuff done. So, and Chris Cardoza says, when are you going to test the new Yamahas? What do you think we've been doing? <laughs> I, I, the last bike I rode was a 2019 Yamaha WR450. We're working on getting the full test done. There's a riding impression up there, but we have started playing with exhausts, doing a lot of tuning with the Yamaha app. Um... We tested the YZ250FX not too long ago, and I think we did impressions on all of the 2019 YZ motocross bikes, so I think that is um, most of them. Oh, the question on the... Chris Smith, the question on the... who Who's TR Smith? Wait a minute. Now we have Chris, and then we have TR. You got aliases? You're one of those guys on the internet? <laughs> I just saw the other question pop up. Would I get a 300 two-stroke or a 300 four-stroke? Uh, that's a personal question. <laughs> I would get the 300 two-stroke. Um, yeah. 
I, I mean, just because that's the right size and actually 300 four strokes aren't bad. Um, I like 350s better. Just, you know, 300 isn't enough over a 250 to make it that much better. And, and when I rode their 300 four stroke a while back, it was, they were still working on it. It was a very early version of fuel injection and stuff like that. So, okay. Um, and then Nadine Bazo Idu uh, who hot I don't remember how to spell this name or I spelled it and then I can't pronounce it said when are you going to do a KTM 790 versus Africa Twin versus BMW 800 comparison um, I don't think we ever need to do that comparison because I'll tell you right now depending on what we do with those bikes uh, there are three different motorcycles. Um, the KTM 790 is going to, as far as adventure bikes, smaller adventure bikes, you know, sub thousand CC adventure bikes, is probably going to blow away everything in the off road realm. Period. Um, I don't think anything's even going to come close to it. Not not any BMW. And I rode the new BMW 850 Adventure briefly, and it's an 850 BMW Adventure. Um, I think it's more suited to riding down the street than it is going off-road, although they did do some improvements to the suspension, and it was noticeable. Uh, I've never been a fan of that bike um, since it came out as the you know the F800 a while back. I would always prefer the 1200. Um, and then the Africa Twin is, and we have really good video review of that up. Um, Africa Twin is a great just middle-of-the-line everything adventure touring bike. Uh, if you were going down the road a long ways, I would rather be on an Africa Twin than I would on a KTM 790. But once you turn on the dirt, the tables change 180 degrees. So hopefully that uh, answers that one. So that's the, the list of questions I compiled from before we got going. Um, let's see. I'm going to roll back on my screen here. Doing this solo. No, no producer. No help. No. Just uh, let's see. Uh, so George is out there. I was going to tell George. Um, so, yeah, I was shoveling dirt, and, and my plumber that actually helped me with the thing, um, when we actually built it out of this house, um, George, uh, retired uh, retired cop, they, they, and since they know everything, he told me is my wife had changed her diet, and her poo might be more like cement. That was, that was what he told me. So just uh, not really sure that's going to get me any farther in life but uh anyways uh, garrett calls himself a beta boy um I really i don't know if we're <laughs> that before i forget thoughts on the crf 250x not coming back out um uh do i have any thoughts on that actually somebody asked me um last time if i thought there was going to be a crf 250 r or crf 250 the new a newer x or an l uh version and i don't really think there is because they have a you know the 250 platform is more entry level and the rx can kind of this crf 250 rx which i'm actually staring at right now it's on, on the tailgate of my truck um, ready to get passed on to trevor hunter um that bike can do trail duty if needed um uh, maybe not as good as if they made a specific X, but since they have the 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 250 F and the 250 L that are more entry level, um, I think they have a full lineup. I don't think there's a, a need to develop a whole new motor, um, you know, a six speed motor, which is what the X platform usually has inside of it uh, to make it work. So um, I think it's uh, you know I think they're fine. I think they're uh, they've they've got plenty of bikes and. Let's see. Um, Justin Brady asks, with the 350 being KTM's best-selling bike and people loving the Yamaha FX and Honda RX lines, you think there's any chance that the Japanese manufacturers will make a 350? Probably not until there's like a specific racing class for it. Um, you know, uh, I think the that KTM and Beta... And some of the other, you know, Sherco with their 300 and stuff, they're filling the, the need for a niche displacement. Um, 
and until there's some sort of way that they can go and race it and have a real reason to design and develop a whole nother motor, and that's the way the Japanese would do it. They would develop a completely different motor. I would suspect if anybody did it first, it would be Yamaha um, if they decided to go that route, but I think they're happy with where their 250 and 450 are. So, um, you know, it's it's... Yeah, it's kind of cost prohibitive at that point for for a manufacturer like that. KTM, like if if everybody made them, then the sales would all go down and it wouldn't be worth making it in the first place. So okay, Clint wants to know for Baja Best in the Desert Racing, which bike would you choose? The new Honda 450 FX um, or the Yamaha FX or WR? So with 100% certainty when you say Baja and like District 37 type desert racing and I think you even asked a question I had your um one of the questions down here earlier I would take the Honda for faster desert racing with no question at all um it's it seems like just everything about the Honda uh, the way the suspension is set standard just the power character the the stability the the way it feels stable um it's a better it's a better desert bike so and then just things like gas tank um makes it makes it better all those all those things for better and then as you start going slower and more tighter and technical stuff i would um get the um yamaha you know if i was back east for sure the yamaha 450 is is the Honda feel starts feeling heavy and starts uh, getting a little cantankerous where the Yamaha stays pretty light and agile. Um, so yeah, like uh, I think it's talked about this last time. If you're in first through third, first through fourth gear, the Yamaha's better. And if you're in third to sixth gear, the Honda's better and the Yamaha doesn't have a sixth gear. Not that it needs it, but, um, yeah. So, uh, Mike Barrett, no sound. Um, you have to turn the sound on the computer or something like that, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, where's your kid? How come he doesn't want to go riding with me anymore? One day I beat him up. <laughs> um, okay, let's see here. I think I'm scrolling the wrong way in my thing. Um, back to... Oh, we're going to do like round robin here. Um, let's see, pretty simple. The sure goes. What's your take on the JD jetting tuner versus the Vortex? Uh, Ian asks this. I haven't used a Vortex for a while, so my take is dated on that. But here's the simple plain truth is the JD jetting tuner only affects fuel. It's just a fuel tuner. So it's really simple. It just interrupts the signal that's the, that the computer is sending to the, the fuel injector. And it either makes it the pulse width longer or shorter, which it richens or leans out the... Um, richens or leans out the the jetting or the 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 fueling, whatever you want to call it. I'm old jetting, yeah. So uh, that's all the JD jetting tuner does. And what um, what the Vortex does is they allow you to modify everything. And from what I recall with Vortex, um, they had they had a um. They had 10 different maps that they could load into the unit, and that was altering ignition and timing, and they allowed you to go. Their parameters were very wide. You could do quite a bit with it, and then you could choose which two maps that you wanted to be able to switch through a handlebar-mounted switch um, as well. So it's a, it's a very versatile unit. As far as um, you want to you know, do maximum tuning, the Vortex is going to get you a lot farther. If you're just a regular guy and you're going to do some changes that you would have to change your jetting for in the old days, you know, go into your carburetor, the JD jetting tuner will accomplish that. It doesn't, like I said, it doesn't affect the ignition or anything like that. So there's certain bikes like KTM EXCs, for example, <clears throat> where KTM has lowered the rev cut. Um, so it doesn't rev out as far. It doesn't, it doesn't make as much peak horsepower because they need to pass a sound test and all the other things. So if you want to really get the maximum amount of power out of your, you know, emissions compliant bike, then you might be wanting to look at, you know, a vortex unit. Cause then if you're going to do something like take the reed valve out of the intake, which I don't do, um, on my bikes, if you're going to, you know, um, 
you know, change cams, different things like that to get a lot of power. That's the that's the way to go. So I'm trying to get my hands on one, but they are so back ordered that uh, I haven't been able to get one. So I guess it's a good good position for them to be in. <laughs> um, I'm uh, waiting because I would I'm I would geek out at and try a lot of different stuff, especially if they'll if I can get the tuning software as well. But I think they have a lot of different maps uh, available. Let's see. I answered the Sherco question. I answered the Honda question. Uh, let's see. With a name like Chris Smith, I don't need an alias. <laughs> yes, you don't. Um, okay. Is changing. So the U.S. importer is changing for Sherco again. Uh, okay. <laughs> Great. Um, actually, I, I did Ryan Young. I've always had a really good relationship with that guy. Uh, so that might be good. Actually, even the old um, Clay, I was good. Um, you know, Clay was always really good to work with and stuff. It was just, you know, t hooking everything up and timing and coordination for a small manufacturer and a crappy little, you know, website that hardly has any staff or really just a bunch of guys doing our spare time. Hard to do. Ash Vaughn says, I rode with you at one of the FMF Baja Mars and you were on a DRZ 400. Was that a mistake or was I just drunk? <laughs> and you made the comment about how you thought it was the had the most usable power delivery of any off-road bike you had ridden. This thought still sticks with me 10 years or so ago. Um, let's see. So at the time, I'm thinking back, like that was a long time ago, and that would have been when the DRZ was probably pretty new. I was probably testing a brand-new uh, DRZ. So... I was coming off an XR400, so we're going to base everything on uh, where we were at at the time, and I tend to agree with that statement, and I was probably talking in very general terms because there's no way it could have been better than like a Husaberg at the time 501. <laughs> Although the Husaberg 501 probably would have not run for the entire Baja Mar ride, but that's, uh, that's the way that that stuff kind of works. So... Let's see. Um, Garrett says that's good news. Um, oh, the Sherco thing. I get it. Um, let's see. Since San Felipe uh, Bob, uh, San Felipe Bob uh, did drywall in here. Help me do drywall. I think he sat in a chair because he was broken, or maybe I broke his leg. And then uh, he in instructed me on how to uh, do drywall. So. Um, Let's see. Any word in getting the 200R yet? I haven't even sent an email. I haven't asked. They said they they said I would be able to get it um, uh, soon. So uh, been kind of busy. Do you like under jersey or over body protection? You know, Mark. Late, lately, I have been wearing a lot of the under um, jersey suits. The 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 kind of like the the mesh suits that have. Um, different kinds of pads and material in them. I've all, but both previous to that I've always been an over the bo you know, like a chest protector on the outside kind of guy. And uh, now Alpine Stars makes some pretty nice, actually, chest protectors that that um, don't pinch or rub too much. Uh, I was wearing one of those the other day. Climb has some really neat. It's an it's a kind of a newer material. It's a like a foam that when you, when you hit it, it actually stiffens up. And it's not the D3O, D3O stuff. It's something different. I don't have the name of the material off the top of my head, but they have some. It's a Arsenal uh, vest, I believe they call it. That um, pretty happy with that. And um, so it just kind of depends. Um, it depends on how hot it is outside. It depends on what kind of riding I'm doing. Uh, but on the motocross track, I was typically an over-the-jersey uh, chest protector guy all the time because I just felt that the plastic on the outside was the first layer of protection. And I always also liked it like the HRP style kind of, um, suspended, um, you know, the more suspended shoulders. Cause you know, if you, if certain ways you fall, it's going to help. And in other ways you fall, it won't make any difference. And that's the same thing you can, you know, you can dress for the crash, but I try not to crash when I ride. So I don't want to, yeah, <laughs> no, I can always get in trouble by saying that. Um, I don't dress for the crash. I just, I just try to be as safe. So it depends on how I'm going to be riding. If I'm going to be riding a little more aggressive, I put a chest protector on. I wear some stuff. So 
Um, okay, underbought. That answered that one. Uh, Fred's here. Yeah, Fred. Uh, hi, Fred. Um, rumor mill. Can you please put an end to the Kawasaki and Honda camps not producing? Oh, you didn't see the you didn't see the the motocross news like the new CR five hundred picture with the one twenty five pipe on it. You didn't see that, and the KX five hundred one either. <laughs> They're gone. Five hundred two strokes are gone. Yeah, you can <laughs> actually they're getting more and more expensive. So, uh, yeah, uh, buy buy one up. I rode one of the aluminum frame uh, 500s. I've ridden a few different ones, but I rode one not too long ago, and I was actually horrified by all, all you all you two stroke lovers are going to start beating me up. But go ahead. I was horrified by the vibration number one that came through the aluminum chassis. Those big motors that are not balanced in any way do not like aluminum frames. Number two, <laughs> how heavy they felt. And the new four-stroke motors are not much heavier, if at all, than an older 500 two-stroke. Could they make a? Could they make one lighter now? I'm sure they could with the materials and technology. Absolutely. But I think what they've learned through all the development and stuff, when you start going a much bigger than 300 cc's. It just becomes not as efficient, and and or at least my experience was once you started going like KTM made all these weird sizes. They had four forties and and five seventies, and as they started getting big, I rode some of those Makos that were seven hundred two strokes, and they were they were horrible. It was like a it was like a it was like a, a diesel engine. It just didn't want to rev. It just went. It was just all torque, and uh, nearly impossible to start, <laughs> and all torque, but. It seems like, you know, once you get above 300, things just don't uh, work. It'd be awesome to see someone make a modern, you know, power valve, fuel-injected 500 two-stroke that was lighter than a 450. We can all dream, but just like it's tough, just like you're not going to see them make 350. Japanese manufacturers make 350 four-strokes. I mean, 300, you know, yeah, 350 four-strokes or 300 four-strokes. So, um, yeah, it's just... <laughs> if you keep clicking on that crap on the internet, they'll keep putting it up there for you. It's that simple. So um, try to, uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Um, and Victor has a CR500. Actually, you probably should try to sell it right now. I just, I just made it more valuable. What's your opinion on using clutch weights, um, Joe? I think you're asking about the. Um, the, there's some people that are making, um, have like, sometimes there's steel clutch baskets as opposed to, um, aluminum ones, um, or they're adding rings onto the clutch. It's a, it's almost like a flywheel weight, except, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't act as much as it's geared down essentially, but it does have some effect. Um, we have a test on one. I think it was on a Husky 300 last year. Um, we uh, tested it on the on dirt bike test. Uh, you don't notice them as much. I used to like on old Honda CR450s. I used to like running a steel basket, which was actually the same thing. So, uh, if you're, but if you're talking about like the weights in um, in like a recluse clutch, is a whole different discussion. Uh, I don't think that's what it is, but. I, I tend to like adding weight to the clutch more than I did to the flywheel, but you have to add quite a bit to get the same effect. Uh, so, easy. Um, let's see. A 202 stroke for District 37. No, I'd be a 125. Let's see. Um, what's the green thing on your wrist? It's where to return the body. Yeah. That's because, yeah, it's just where to where to take the body back to. Uh, has all my other stuff. Eduardo, what do you think of Honda 450 RX for Baja Desert Bike? Um, salute. Hey, t right on. Reminded me. I got the I got the 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 Jim Adore. Remember? Yeah, I can't pronounce it in 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 Spanish, so I'll call it what I call it, Jim Adore, because I'm narcissistic. So it's about time, isn't it? Uh, I Eduardo, I hope I earlier I answered your um. The 450RX, I think that's really what that bike was designed for. Just like the old one was really good in um, in Baja. Uh, I think the new one is even better. 
Uh, so I think it's a great one. So cheers, Eduardo. Thank you for reminding me. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Michael Brown. Um, I found the tunes that came with Oh, he's talking about the Vortex Ignition. So maybe in the, in the chat room when we're doing this, uh, what we should should do is possibly try to if you're if you're talking about something else, go ahead and put what you're talking about. You know, just maybe KTM 350 or Vortex Ignition or <laughs> whatever it is, and then and then Bob will just answer your thing. Tim Morton just joined. Tim Morton of Baja Bound. If you are going to go on a Baja tour and you don't know what you're doing, go with Baja Bound. That's just Jimmy saying that. I don't go to I don't go to Baja, but um. That's uh, really good advice, uh, Robert Walker. EVS ballistic. Oh, he's talking about chest protectors. Uh, Poron. That's that's George remembered the name of the stuff. Um, we have thirty six people in the house. That's good. Awesome. Um, so many keep, people just keep falling for what? Wait a minute. Where where I lost it. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, San Felipe Bob was also a HRP where vibration. <laughs> Victor likes vibration. Uh, let's see. I've won a Ty Davis's KX500 and just got a 19 KX450. Looking forward to testing them both. Um, yes, you will. You know, if I were to get a 500, I would leave it in the steel frame. <laughs> they, I, they were actually pretty good at the end, but you're going to find going from a current modern bike... To an older bike, and this is going to get me back. To, I'm going to work this back into another question about um, new versus old um, KTM's. You're going to find that the chassis evolution has come so far, and the suspension has gotten so much better, and and it, everything is basically stiffer. And so the older bikes, you're going to find that they wallow and they move around and they 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 feel kind of sloppy. Essentially, they just don't handle with the same precision that we're used to these days. Um, so when you put them in, when you put the 500s in the new frames, you go, oh, great, it's going to handle, well, I'm finding that they don't necessarily put the motor in exactly the right place. They just kind of bolt it in so it fits, and then there, it's, you know, sometimes the crank center is a little bit too high, so they actually handle heavier. Um, I've ridden some where they tried to lower it back down, but they changed the geometry uh of the bike somehow when they did it and that didn't go so well so yeah um yeah keep it in the stock frame uh i think it's I think you're good so that should be that should be fun uh so david why don't you get your kid to ride both of those and write something for me i know how much he likes writing now <laughs> uh ryan helped us out with our uh our 250 shooters and i think he's working on a bike test that's been due for a month or so so yeah beat him up beat up on him for that uh no problem did i see the brc racing ktm cr 500 yes i did uh it's in a steel frame that might be better but remember all the steel frames that ktm are making are pretty stiff these days and they're designed to carry light lighter motors than that 500 is so uh, kind of to uh, break back uh, to another thing, um, Mike, I don't have his other name, asked about new versus old KTM EXCs. And he basically was saying he had a, a line on a good deal on an older one and was kind of curious like what it was like compared to the new ones. So specifically with those, and, and I have, I've had a lot of them, I have a lot of them, avoid the 2008 to 2011 uh, EXCs, when they went to that, they went to the um, engine that has the dual oil chambers. Uh, I have found that that engine is, eh, for a KTM, I would call it largely un unreliable. So it's, um, and whether, you know, whether it's the first year or the second year, there's differences between them where they update a lot of the stuff. And, and there's guys that do, you know, they convert it into a single oil thing, stuff like that. It doesn't matter. Like, the cylinders wear out. The, the, the pistons wear out. The, the only thing that was really good on that, on that particular generation motor was a cylinder head. And it's basically the same, almost very similar to the one that's on the current bikes. 
because those lasted. You never had to replace the valves on it, but the cranks, the main bearings, um, various bearings in the transmission. It was like after 300 hours, you had to replace everything. It wasn't like the new ones where it's like, you know, you just go in and change the rings or you just, the old ones, you just go in and change the intake valves. So, but if you're talking like that 2000 to 2007, and as you approach 2007, those 06, 07 KTM RFS bikes got really good. And they're very, very similar to, I wouldn't say the, the latest, the, the 17, 18, 19 KTMs. They're very similar to the, the 2012 to 2016 bikes. Um, you know, they're basically just not fuel injected. Uh, and everything got a little bit better, but not not so bad. So it's it's you know every every year when you go like maybe two or three years, most riders will not really feel the updates and the changes in like a performance um, in a performance aspect. So it's essentially um, you know there's small changes, a lot of little things are done for durability. They'll get a little bit of handling, maybe they'll change some stuff in the suspension. If you look at it, we always call it a bold new graphics here. It's, you know, they change the graphics, that's the main change and then maybe they're going to up a spring right here or change some valving there. Um, little things. And it's like I said, it's hard to, hear, to change it, but when they go from a full-fledged model, you know, where it's a big change where something changes in the frame or they put you know, the motor design changes slightly. They, they, you know, put a new cylinder head on, stuff like that. Those are changes that most riders can feel. But when you're going like five, ten, you know, five years, ten years, it's it's pretty big, and you'll notice it. And just everything gets better. As much as people like to say, oh, you know, I like my old XR400. Yeah, you had to kickstart it. Um, the makes the power of a current 250, if that. Um there's lots of little things, but they, they just get better. So it's what you know, it's kind of comes down to what you can afford. And when you're buying a used bike, you sometimes you just don't know where you, you know what it what it was supposed to be like, but you have no idea what the owner's done to it. You know where why he's why he's selling it. I always like to walk in when I'm buying a used bike, walk into that garage and see the brand new 19 sitting next to the the you know the lightly used 16. <laughs> it's like and it's totally stock. That uh, that's another one. So, um, anyways, hopefully that answers uh, Mike's question and answers the question on some of the stuff. I'm gonna scroll down a little bit. Thing. Um, let's see. Kevin wants to know. It's his last question. He promises me. Uh, would you favor the CRF 250 RX or the EXC 250? Uh, so desert for debt trail. De desert trail riding. That's it's where I'm kind of coming from. <sighs> Boy. Um I don't know. Uh well the EXC here here we so we so the EXC and the RX are two completely different bikes. The EXC is a, you know, an emissions compliant bike that you can get a license plate for. We tested it against the KTM um XC which is a race bike and you can read about that on the site and we can kind of go into detail there but the RX is actually not a bad trail bike, especially in that ignition mode number two. Um, it puts out pretty good torque. Uh, it's 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 really rideable. I think the KT, you'll find the KTM um, feels lighter. The EXC actually feels lighter and acts lighter. It definitely has less power in the EXC form, and it definitely uh, does not like to rev as much as the Honda does. Um, the Honda is a really revy bike, but it still puts out pretty good torque. I, I would say they're almost equal in torque. The Honda, the competition bike probably puts out a little bit more, a little bit more meaty, aggressive, um, kind of torque where the KTM is very linear and easy to ride. And then you're going to have to modify the KTM to get it to put out the kind of power that the Honda does. So, um, yes, Himador. No, no, Jim, Jim Adore. Jim, it's me. Jim, Jimmy, Jim Adore. Yeah, got it. Um, let's see. Do the, <laughs> he do the math? What? <laughs> um, is KTM 690, is, is a 690 a dirt bike? Uh, this is a loaded question. This is probably coming from, uh, one of, um, Mark, Mark, uh, Mark's haters, Mark Kapoklov, uh over there at Baja Diaries haters. Um, the 690 is not a dirt bike. 
I think it's a really good street-going single. Uh, you can ride it in the dirt, though. I mean, there's a lot of people that do, and they're really happy with them. And it's uh, it. And people say it looks just like the old rally bike. And since I rode one, an old rally bike, and I rode the 690, I'm going to say it's not our old rally bike. Hmm. Yeah, good call. Um, so why are you hearing the same thing twice, Bob? I don't know. Let's see. How did you like the two-wheel drive KTM adventure bike from Christini? Uh, it's impressive. It's, I like to, I like the all wheel drive technology on the dirt bikes. Uh, I think there's uses for it. You have to ride them a little bit different, but on the adventure bike, it's game changing. It's, I kind of the way I like to, I think you, that we need to look at it is like your four wheel drive truck. You don't drive it around all the time in four wheel drive, but when you need it, you put it in four wheel drive and then you can go places that you ordinarily wouldn't. I hope that explains that because that's the way that I would start, you know, thinking about how the that the adventure bike thing works. You could run it in all wheel drive all the time because as long as you're spinning the rear wheel in in that setup on that form, um, it essentially it doesn't you know it doesn't do anything until it's like like the, one of their sayings was when the rear wheel slips the front wheel grips and you really feel it cuz the adventure bikes have so much power and they're pushing you know they're always struggling for traction on the rear and when you know when the rear end spins you start feeling the front end do work and in low traction situations uh even on the dirt bike it's amazing like how that bike just goes and people say it must climb hills really good well I don't think hill climbing is where it's best unless you're going from a dead stop and you want to get moving. Then it actually, you know, makes a makes a pretty big difference. But once you're climbing, then it almost becomes a little bit of a disadvantage because if you lose balance and turn the bars and your rear wheel's spinning and your front wheel's trying to grab and it pulls you off to the side, you've got to be really careful with where you put your handlebars, just like on a four-wheel drive truck, because it will steer there. It'll steer where it goes, where you point it. So... Um, I was pretty impressed with it. We're working on some stuff with durability on that, um, on that bike. You know, that's kind of why they have me ride things because I can break things too. So we're getting that thing tuned up and I know he's definitely planning on having a kit for that available soon. How comparable is a close ratio transmission with a tall first, say a Honda RX with a recluse compared to a wider ratio setup with a standard clutch, say a Honda 450X, in especially in tighter stuff. I tell you what, the Recluse definitely solves a lot of the stalling issues, and I did see a question pop up someplace about stalling issues, and I'll get to that. Um, but it's... You know, the the reason the recluse works is it just doesn't make the mistakes that you do. You know, zero throttle and releasing the clutch. It it automatically, you know, when the RPMs drop down, it dis, it disengages them. So you can get away with a little bit. But if you were constantly, if you were if you were perfect on your clutch and constantly slipping your clutch, um, it's you know, if you're geared too tall for the situation, it's going to help you get through it, but it's going to slip. And all the time I've had recluses, I've never smoked one. I've, I've actually, my clutch life is a lot of times better on my recluse equipped bikes, but that's not to say that it's going to compensate for having the wrong gearing for the riding you're doing. Um, I don't like motocross transmissions off-road. I just never have for the pure fact that first gear is always too tall. And if I gear them to make first gear proper, the ratios get too close together and then fifth gear on most of the bikes is frankly useless for if you're going to, you know, cover some distance. So that's, that's kind of that, but I mean, the recluse will help if you're going to keep it geared tall, but that may not be the best, uh, thing to, to go. And if I was going to do first gear stuff, I would not ride the Honda. I would ride the Yamaha WR. So Hope that answers that question and throws a spin on it. CR500 on aluminum frame. Uh, I'm not going to repeat what you said, Victor. You said bad words. <laughs> and if if Ryan is finishing college this week, that's awesome. I, I like it when he's when he's uh, then he's going to have to go get a real job. Maybe dirt bike test is hiring. Let's see. Um, 
Suerte tequila. I have tried Suerte tequila. It's one of the uh, 230 certified tequilas I've had at Ramiro's Bar in Pahrump, Nevada. If you're ever in Pahrump, swing by Ramiro's and uh, say hi to Janie for me. Uh, I miss the days you just rode what you had and didn't worry about spring rates, timing maps, etc. Just spent a bunch of money setting up my already expensive bike for my weight. <laughs> Some of us find joy in uh, setting up a bike. And since... Since I'm, uh, I, it's really hard to describe myself this way, but perfect, um, you know, height and weight and all that stuff, ability levels perfect, then I just fit on every bike and I don't have to do much adjustments. So that's why I like bikes so much. Um, let's see. Help, please, sir. My 17450RX flames out in tight terrain. Is there a way to stop other than just keeping the revs up? James, I can help you. I don't think it's flaming out. Um, I, I believe what you're experiencing is what we were referring to as kind of a vague clutch feel. And I, you know, like flaming out is, eh, it's a, it's a, it's a weird term, but those bikes are a little bit lean. And so if you're going to start down kind of modification row on that, I would recommend a fuel tuner. And then I would look into doing something with the clutch. Those are the two modifications we've been very, very happy with on our RX. Is wait, you said RX. I was thinking X, sorry. Roll back. RX, uh, basically the same clutch, but it's geared tall. Um, it's not lean. It's, I gotta I gotta check all this stuff. Flames out in tight train. I think, I think it's again, go go to the clutch. Uh, we did a, we did a long-term test on the RX on the, there's a 17 last year. We set it, actually we set it up and we auctioned it off, um, for, uh, uh, Blue Ribbon Coalition did a, did a raffle and basically they got a brand new bike, but they put all of our stuff, the stuff that we liked on it and set it up that way. I wonder that guy could probably tell you how our setup worked <laughs> as good as we could. Um, but we didn't do fuel tuning in that one. We did do some, I think we put a recluse in it, um, and it kind of stalled it or solved that, solved that issue. But the Honda clutches, I don't, I don't think that they're, that they're bad for just regular riding, but when you get in tighter and technical, more technical terrain, they just feel, they have like a little bit of a vague feeling. So, um, opinions on DDS. So James, hopefully that answers your question. Sorry for, uh, jumping right to X when it's, uh. RX, uh, but we do have information on that on the website. Opinions on a DDS clutch weights. Um, I think we talked about that earlier. So you're going to have to re rewind uh, 22 minutes or something like that. Uh, Michael Brown had a combat wombat. Uh, Brian Fulton. Hey, Brian, the seat. <laughs> I want the air seat. Yes. <laughs> okay, Marco's out here. I don't know if it's Marco or if it's... Uh, if it's his uh, wife, who's who's on who's who's in the thing? Can you ride a Harley in the dirt, um, Morgan? I can ride anything in the dirt, and I have. <laughs> Let's see. Just made it home just in time for a little tech talk. I don't have any tacos. I'm gonna go straight to. I'm just gonna drink my uh, drink dinner tonight. Let's see. Uh, Vespa with the now it's getting crazy. See, you guys are all drinking, and now the talk's going kind of. A little bit nutty, but on on me. Yes, I had a seventy-eight. You guys are having Vespa talk. That's uh, that's over on channel two twenty-two, uh, someplace else. So you're gonna have to get there. Um, Rocon. I have ridden a Rocon, and in fact, I had a picture of a Rocon on my desk back in Pahrump, and I was gonna talk about that in conjunction with some two-wheel drive stuff. But uh, that's it. Okay. Um, let's see. Have you ever looked in the on off road Vespa seat? <laughs> oh boy. Okay. You guys are running loops around. Good thing we only have five minutes left. Um, so have a little something here. I think, uh, I think we're doing pretty good. Um, oh yeah, my Motion Pro almost forgot. My this could be the last one, but this is the Motion Pro tool of the week. Anybody want to guess what this is? Quickly, okay, I'm putting it away. It doesn't come purple. That's just the color I put it on it. So when you steal it, I get it back. Yeah. 
So, and, and the other thing, if you are hungry ever riding your dirt bike, I dare you to try one of these because number one, you're not going to be hungry and then you're going to have to carry them around all the time. I have my, my stash bar, which is the uh, peanut butter, hemp and flax. And then also one of my favorites, the tram bar. These are Kate's bars. Go to katesrealfood.com. Order yours. If you want a promo code, email me at jimmy at dirtbiketest.com, and I can um, get you hooked up with a Kate's bar so they're cheaper than the other bars that you uh, probably currently have to stomach. These things actually taste real good, and the... What? Uh-oh. Are we going to get that question again? Or am I ever going to... Uh, am I ever going to organize a hard... Eat a Kate's bar, okay? <laughs> so, um, am I ever going to organize a hard enduro in the near future? Nope. Not in the near future. That's for sure. Uh, Kate's plugged the pipes. No, no. I, I hoard all the Kate's bars. Heather doesn't get any. I don't think they're on her current current diet right now. But I'm sure if she gets hungry on the trails, she'd be the first one to get there. And uh, Victor, what's the name of your popsicle company? Where, where? I know I have to go down. I have to go ride my bicycle around downtown LA to get one of those things. That's the <laughs> the real the real. So Victor is uh, Victor makes popsicles that are almost as good as Kate's bars. Actually, if it's hot out and you've just finished a hard enduro, you want to get a whatever Victor's uh, popsicles are called. So, yes. Um, okay, any last-minute questions here? We are, let's see, I think I answered most of the ones that we have up there. Um, so I will talk a little bit about um, this week. Uh, we were doing some testing with the Yamaha WR450. We got the GYTR pipe, which is, it's made by FMF, and it's more like the power core. And that thing made that bike come alive i mean it oh yeah la mio mio i can't pronounce it yeah ice cream parlor i can do that part <laughs> you'll see it on the you'll see it on the feed you have to get me you have to get me one but a fake one so i can hold it up and it won't melt all over my table um okay back to the back to the wr and 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 it really woke the bike up to the point where it was like motocross kind of power so it was uh, very aggressive, and then then we were using some of the maps that were um, that Yamaha sent us. They shared them with us on the app, and then we started developing our own. And the whole time, we were actually trying to tone the power down, especially for like w, real WR riding. And it was a little bit loud, so I called up FMF and said, "Hey, do you have a cue for this?" And of course, they did. So they sent out a cue, and so we've been going back and forth um, with the GYTR and the cue. And they're, it's definitely different. The cue's just a little bit longer, and it has a chamber inside of it. Um, yeah, if you find Victor, I, I'm, I'm seeing the, I'm seeing the thing here. If you find Victor someplace, is, are you the guy that's running with the little bell and the little cart? That that guy. If you find that guy, say you listen to him on Tech Talk, or you saw him on Tech Talk, and you get a, a discount. Also, it's always hooking everybody up around here. This is good. But back to the pipes. Um, so when you ran the competition ECU with just the standard, like an all zeros, and you put that FMF cue on there, it was magic. It was really, really good. And um, then then it gave us kind of something to shoot for with just changing the numbers around, um, mostly adding a little bit of fuel and taking some ignition away to get the to get that that throttle response, the more th the extra throttle response. So it really kind of depends on what kind of a rider you are based on which pipe you would like straight away. But we're playing around around making uh, uh, different maps uh, for the WR. Uh, it's that power the the Yamaha Power Tuner app. I always talk about how nice it is, how much I like it. It's it's awesome, um, and you can it's it's amazing what a what a difference you know the mapping can make. And so what we're one of the like I say we were playing with these maps, so. You can you can put the GYTR map on it or pipe on it, and then put a a map that makes it run just like the Q, 
and then with a push of a button, you can make it like more like a motocross bike, and then you can even make it more aggressive if you wanted to. And so what, what I was trying to kind of get around to is it's amazing what a pipe does and then what a, what the fuel injection tuning and the timing will do. And then you can kind of, you know, make them the same. And so I have a, I want to see like, okay, what's the difference between these two pipes? Well, here's the map and the fueling that'll make them work very similar, you know, and it's a pretty big, it's a pretty big change. And the reason that's important is if, if you were to just take the pipe and change it and you didn't change anything in the mapping in the ECU, you would be quote this far off. You know, if you if you just grab a bike and slide a pipe on it and say, okay, it's going to be better, and it depends on, you know, some of the tuners, they, they make it for, you know, a stock map, but if you change your map or you do something different, then that pipe doesn't necessarily work. It's like a fixed thing where the ignition and the uh, uh, fueling is kind of variable. So those are the ways that we kind of like try to test things and explain things. Uh, we have most of our final maps for our CR450X. I don't remember. <laughs> get that. Get the the letters right. The suspension for that bike is actually in my truck right now. It's going down to ESP mostly because it needs to be serviced. But we also have a little top out feeling in the fork that we're going to try to get get rid of. Um, I remember having it in the. RX uh, a couple years ago, and when the Showa technicians were out doing some stuff, I got them to do a little thing, and we were able to kind of get rid of it, so we're going to see if that carries along. It is the same fork. It should work, but it's just this little light top-out feeling that we get, and it's noticeable after the forks really start breaking in. Uh, other than that, I'm pretty happy with the suspension. Um, I might go a little bit stiffer on some stuff, but I'm not really sure right now. I think I'd like to fix the top out and call it good with a you know fresh set of oil and then ride a little bit more before we really jump in and do valving changes. And on to the last thing. I have an owner's manual here for a KTM 350, and we're going to look at some stuff because everybody likes to talk about durability and all those kind of things. Um, so when they break this down... Uh, once after one operating hour is their first thing. And then they, they have a list of stuff that you should do. So basically, you know, it's your first check. Then they go every 15 hours, operating hours, every 30 operating hours, every 40 operating, 45 operating hours. So those are the recurring times, 15, 30, and then 45. So basically every 15 hours. And then every 10 operating hours when used for motorsports. So that would be, are you racing it? And this is a KTM 350 EXC, is the is the is what this owner's manual is for. So uh, race bikes generally have numbers cut down, but you know an EXC is designed to be ridden a long ways, a long time. So they're saying every 15 hours, they want you to do all the stuff like check the wheel hubs, you know, check the chain and sprockets, tension, the fluid levels for the brakes, <laughs> you know, it's all the stuff, but. The ones everybody's curious about is check the valve clearance. So they want you to do it every 30 hours. They want you to check the valve clearance. And then they also say check the clutch and uh, a couple of the other things. Where is the... I was going to get to the piston. Um, uh, service the fork. So they're, they're calling for fork service and shock absorber at 45 hours. Um, if I owned one, I would do it at more closer to 30 the first time and then see how the fluid is and then maybe go to 45. Um, remember to check the headlight setting. <laughs> um, change the fuel screen. So there's a little tiny fuel screen in there. And if there was anything that I would really think that you should change uh, often, you know, you know, because it's tiny, would be this. And they want you doing it every 15 hours, essentially. But I have one that it's been in there for, you know, 300 hours and I haven't had to change it. Maybe I'm just good at getting, you know, good fuel. Um, but along with that, they want you to check the fuel pressure, check the idle, check that the radiator fan is functioning properly. You know, there's a lot of stuff that they go through on these, on these service manuals. And where is the, I looked at it, I found the piston, uh, when the, when the piston replacement was, cause that's another, oh, here we go. <laughs> here it is. Perform engine service, including and 
including removing and installing the engine. Uh, this is every 70 hours when used for motorsports or every uh, 135 operating hours. So they want you at 135 hours, they're saying change the piston, check and measure the cylinder, uh, check cylinder head, check the valves, valve springs, valve spring seats, camshaft, cam cover, connecting rod, rod bearing, crank pin, change the shaft seals on the water pump, check the transmission and shaft mechanism. I mean, we can just go kind of on and on about all the all the stuff they want you to do every you know, if you're 70 hours, they say if you're racing it, and 135 is when they kind of get into that. Okay, this is when you need to check, or it's change the piston, check and measure the cylinder, cylinder head, change the valves. So they want valve replacement um, and valve spring seats. So that's a full head rebuild. Um, change the connecting rod, um, connect, con rod bearing and crank pin. So, you know, they're, they're calling for a full rebuild of that motor, 135 or 135 hours. I have one that has pretty much is getting close to 400. And, you know, I talk to people that know down there and they're like, don't touch it. Just keep, keep running it. And the only problem I've had with that motor the whole time, and I've checked the valves a few times and they never go out of, out of spec is the hydraulic, um, Chain, cam chain tensioner went bad in it and it just sounded horrible and it was just not getting enough oil pressure or it got started getting sticky so that was essentially um you know what goes wrong with it but those are written a lot of times by lawyers and if you're riding them i guarantee you a, a, a knucklehead could need to cut those times in half you know if you like to ride your bike in a rev limiter if you don't change your oil or forget to if you let dirt go through the air filter. All those numbers are kind of a moot point. But if you're, you know, up on your service and taking care of it, that bike will tell you, you'll feel it start losing power when the fuel filters get plugged. You'll feel it start losing power, you know, when the top end really starts wearing out. So little things like that, you know, just being kind of an aware rider. But if you just don't know, at 135 hours, take your motor someplace and have it done and then have the parts all measured and that will tell you whether you know have a measure of the free play in the crank have you measure the ring end gap and that will tell you how your motor's going to live and if you get a good solid guy putting the motor back together and doing the work it's going to be like brand new and then you're going to go for another 135 or maybe you decide you know what everything was really good i'm going to go 200 300 or whatever so that's uh that's my talk on the manual i'd go grab a yamaha one and see what their numbers were but like i said those are kind of written more to kind of just in case somebody goes nuts and says that you know ah the piston needs to be changed at x amount of hours it's lawyers so they don't like the warranty work uh okay i am gonna start wrapping this thing up i want to thank you guys all for uh coming and asking questions we will do this again next tuesday um and thanks for answering the question victor it's really good i i don't i didn't wasn't able to pay attention to the chat to see if you gave out your lolly or um, um discount code for <laughs> for the uh popsicles where to find you uh but anyways we will see you out on the trail soon if not next week on taco tuesday See ya.